The Age of Valor, Volume 1, Heritage, by D.E. Morris. A full-cast production, narrated by Conrad Hetzer. The small group turned toward the river that ran between the town and directly under the mountain, instead of going straight for the main gate. This less public entrance would allow them to bypass all the citizens hoping to personally wish them a warm welcome home. There would be time for that later. Right now, calling council was top priority. The tunnels and stairways beneath the castle were no place for a unicorn, so they bid farewell to Sule, though not before Ashton gave him a hastily written note to carry and orders for delivery. He was to make haste for the keep scattered across Seness that housed representatives from the five other nations that were a part of the Isles. They needed to be at Altain as soon as possible. Sule was only too glad for this mission, and left as the others headed into the damp darkness under the mountain. By the time they neared the top of the secret entryway, and saw light coming from under a door above them, everyone was wet, dirty, and exhausted. This is not how I pictured my homecoming. Kinnate muttered as she wiped her slimy hands on her skirt. Jaren pushed the stone door open, letting light spill out. Can we not do this anymore? I've seen enough underground tunnels, thank you. I felt quite at home. Kinnate stuck her tongue out at Elos, even as he helped her up the last few steps and into the light. They had come into a cell, a large room with thick stone walls, and another stone door before them. There were beds enough for four grown men, and a chamber pot, though they were only for appearances. The real lawbreakers were further back in the dungeon, so as to keep this room's true identity a secret. Ashton went to the door and pulled it open, shocking the guard in the hall into speechlessness for a moment. When he saw the dirty face of his queen, he recovered quickly, bowing his head and bringing his right fist up to rest on his heart. With a quick nod, Ashlyn led the way out of the dungeons. The others followed silently, though Kinnade paused to thank the man by name. Jaren, last to exit the cell, thumped the guard on the shoulder and the man straightened, closing the cell door behind them. Ashlyn was walking so quickly now that Kinnade was almost running to keep up. Up the stairs and out into the hall, Courtiers gasped and moved aside in shock to see Ashton for the first time in so long, then slowly forming a gathering parade behind her. The courtiers who had been waiting in the great hall to welcome Ashton home had not yet realized she was already there, and so it was the stragglers that were late to the gathering to find her on her way through the castle. Following the lavish red and gold carpet along the stone corridor, Ashton paid no heed to the long-familiar portraits and paintings on the walls, or the vases overflowing with flowers at every turn. Tall wooden doors with iron embellishments swung open as Ashlyn followed the wave of whispers rippling through the castle that further announced her return, and soon, the crowd following her had nearly tripled. At the entrance hall, a double staircase framed the enormous room, lit by torches and high windows of clear glass. There was a set of doors on the first floor, in the direct center of the room, with another set above it on the second floor. K-9 
carefully maintained ivy wound itself around and through cracks in the stone of the upper balcony wall. Flowers of white, cream, and pink stood out brightly where they bloomed and breathed their perfume into the air. The group took the stairs closest to them, Jaren shooing the curious and chatting courtiers away. Pushing the heavy wooden throne room doors open with both hands, Ashton's entrance may not have been grand, but it was effective. Every guard, four on each side of the room and two flanking the royal thrones, dropped to one knee with bowed heads, bringing their fists up to their hearts as the guard in the dungeon had. A reflection of the rest of the castle, the red and gold carpet covered the floor here too. The light from the torches and sunlight streaming in from the windows made the room seem as if it had no roof at all. In the brilliant light of the setting sun, a figure rose from the small seat beside the ruler's throne. He had long hair, striped with the colors of honey and gold, and wore floor-length robes of mossy green and white. Stepping closer, his eyes were so pale a gray that they seemed unnatural, and his ears were pointed at the tips, the telltale ears of an elf. Passerin. Ashton met the elf in the middle of the room, joining hands with him with a joyful smile. Tasserin tipped his head gracefully. He kissed her hands before letting them go. I was most pleased when Sule told me of your return. I'm certain. May I introduce my companions? Elas McGee of Abeus and Luella Ellison of Sadia. This is Tasserin Blackwood, my chief advisor, regent, and long-trusted friend. Tasserin bowed his head again, every movement graceful. His smile was warm to the two strangers, before turning brighter as he looked at Canade. It does my heart well to see you safe, princess. Thank you, Tasserin. It is good to be home. Well, sort of home. Now, is there anything pressing I should know about before retiring to my quarters for a bath and clean clothes? Sule has just delivered your letter to an Ebayish emissary as we speak. As for matters of the kingdom, none that need be reported before you rest. A box was delivered for you yesterday, a crate, brought over on a shipping freight. Directions were given that you and you alone open it. Ashton quirked a brow, and Tasserin nodded once. I suggest it be opened in your presence, but to have another open it for you. Right. We will reconvene in the morning once I have slept and have my head on straight. Let the people know that I truly am in the castle, and will give them audience soon. Tell them nothing of our journey, but do tell them we will be having many guests these next few days. I expect nothing less than absolute hospitality and kinship, from my people as well as those visiting. Yes, your majesty. I know they will wish to celebrate, and I believe they should do so. We will proceed as normal until a decision is made, for or against war. Of course. Let the kitchen staff know we will be having guests, and how many there will be as soon as you know. I can only see what Sule sees. I cannot hear what is being communicated around or to him. Of course, Tarsaren. Forgive me. My thoughts are trying to run faster than I can keep up with. A smile touched the smooth corners of Tasserin's lips. You are forgiven. 
if I may speak as a friend. Go, and rest yourselves for now, and do not rush. I've been acting steward for more than a year. To add another day to that will not harm me. <coughs> Jaren coughed, and there was a quick flash of irritation in the elf's otherwise serene expression. Sorry. <laughs> Dry throat. His grin was innocent. Ashlyn, may I suggest taking two of these men and seeing about that crate? I want to know what it is. No, Nady. Go rest. You may see it later. A young servant girl was passing by the open throne room doors, and Ashlyn called to her. Please see to it that one of my gowns be brought to Lady Luella's quarters. She glanced at Jaren, who nodded to say he had already taken care of seeing their guests had rooms before coming to greet them. And send two of my girls in to aid her in anything she may need. Jaren looked at Elos. I have some things that should fit you. Anything else? No one said anything, and Ashton took that to mean their small meeting was adjourned. Tomorrow morning. As Kanade stalked off to her room, pouting, and Elos and Luela were led away to their own rooms, Jaren pointed to the two closest guards to tell them they were appointed as crate openers, and followed Ashton down the corridor toward her quarters. Any idea what this delivery may be? I've not a clue. Whoever sent it wanted you to open it, though. I know. That was the reason I didn't want Nady to be here. It is impossible to know the danger that could be inside. Ashlyn's quarters consisted of a sitting room, a large bedroom, and her own bathing room. Both the bedroom and sitting room were decorated in tapestries of black and silver. The hand-woven rugs covering the stone floor were thick and lush, spanning from under her four-poster bed close to the fireplace in the sitting room. There, high-backed chairs faced the fire that had already been lit. Between them was a small table littered with candles and her favorite book. It was just as she had left it, except for the wooden crate by the window. It wasn't very big, as small as two of the wooden boxes milk was delivered in to the villagers. Ashlyn stepped into the room, and her nose wrinkled. There was a foul odor in the air, and... Looking at the men with her, it was clear they smelled it too. Jaren gently grabbed Ashton by the arm as she started forward again. He looked at one of the guards and motioned to the window with a lift of his chin. As soon as it was opened, a fresh breeze of cool air moved through the room. It helped take the terrible smell away, but it did nothing for the knots in Ashton's stomach. Open it. The two men moved to do as told. They had to slide a poker from the fireplace between the nails to loosen it, before either of them could get a tight enough grip to pull the top off. The smell worsened, but Ashlyn took a step forward to see inside. All that was visible was a bloody brown robe. Briac's robe, and it was clearly wrapped around something. Ashlyn. Unwind it. She was amazed at how steady her voice was, since she was feeling anything but steady. You don't have to do this. You know what you will find. Neither guard had moved, and Ashton tore her gaze away from the bloody robe to look at her men. Unwind it. With no outward show of emotion, one of the men stooped 
and pulled out the robe. He held it carefully as the other pulled the loose edges back. Prince Laidley had done a cruel thing by making a mockery of them, disrespecting all of the Isles by not sending Briac's body, and only his head. Ashlyn felt her knees buckle, but Jaren was right there. He held her firmly, turning her around so her face was to his chest. Get it out of here! The men acted swiftly, putting the robe back in the crate and carrying it from the room. As the doors closed, Jaren held Ashlyn tightly. Her breathing was rapid, and she trembled in his embrace, but she did not cry. Either strength or stubbornness wouldn't allow it. Her hands, clutched together at her chest, now moved to take hold of the front of Jaren's shirt. She clung to him in desperation. I should have stayed behind. Ashlyn turned her head to look at absolutely nothing. I would have had a better chance against them than Briac. You don't know that. There was a reason Briac was the one to stay. If he hadn't, they would have had you or Kinead, and it would have been worse than what was done to Briac. The Giver would not- Oh, curse the Giver! Ashton pushed away from Jaren, looking up at him with unbridled anger. Curse him! Jaren watched somewhat helplessly as she stomped past him into her bedroom. Ashlyn, you're hurting. You don't know what you're saying. I know very well what I am saying. Do not tell me the giver made Briac choose to stay behind. She turned to face Jaren, eyes almost emerald with rage. For what? To be slaughtered like a farm hen? How can someone who only takes away be called giver? What has he ever given me that I should choose to follow him and trust in him? What? She was on the brink of losing it now, and Jaren proceeded carefully. What has he given you? Emmeline and Wesley? After taking my parents away. Kinead. To look after all this time. He moved into the room now, closer, but not too close. And what of me? He gave me to you. Ashton stared at him, glaring for a long suffering moment. When it seemed as though she would not move or speak again, her gaze suddenly went to the floor. Her shoulders sagged and she shook her head. This prompted Jaren to take a daring step closer. He reached out to gently take her chin in his hand and make her look at him. I have never been more serious, Ashlyn. Do you not realize we were created for one another and no one else? Before we were ever born, we were being designed for one another, having things set in our path that would lead us and bring us together. You have been and always will be the most precious gift he has given me. And what of you? What about me? Tears that now filled her eyes had to be blinked away. Stubborn, hard-headed, unforgiven on the worst of days, and yes, I'll say it even a little aggressive at times. How many sought to have your hand? She scoffed and tried to turn away, but Jaren wouldn't let her return to her grief without a valiant attempt at distraction. I'm being quite serious. How many? I don't know. So many you lost count then. What made me stand out? What was it about me 
Warm tears slid down her cheeks. You only wanted one thing. And what was that? To see me smile. Jaren nodded, brushing her tears away. All the others sought to woo you, and I would have been happy with one real smile. But one was not enough. Well, of course not. Now that her defenses were down, Jaren took the one last step that would close the distance between them. She didn't resist his arms going around her and buried her face in his shirt. One smile is simply not enough. It will never be enough. So I kept right on making a fool of myself, all just to get your attention. You see, the giver made me a fool just for you. You are a fool to love me as you do. Dipping his head, Jaren kissed her hair. And I do so love you. <sighs> Briak was a good man. He did not deserve to die. Ashlyn lifted her face, cheeks tear-stained and reddened. How can you believe, Jaren? How can you trust the giver is there so faithfully when things like this happen? With a slight shrug of his shoulder, Jaren gave a small smile. How can you know the people you know, see the beauty of your homeland day after day and not? She said nothing, but turned to rest her cheek against his chest. I have seen miracles, Ashlyn. I have tried to believe he's not there, especially in the hard times, but my soul knows he is. I wish I could have the certainty you do. I wish I could so easily believe. You can. You've just got to stop fighting him so hard, love. He wants to be with you. He wants you to love him as he loves you. He wants you to need him. I just don't know how. I'll help you. We'll do this together. We'll do all of it together. She nodded lifting a hand to dry her face of the newly shed tears. With a deep breath in, she was collecting herself, reconstructing the wall she was always hiding behind. I need to get things ready for tomorrow. She also needed time alone to properly grieve. Briac's death was her fault, and no matter how Jaren tried to distract her with loving words, the weight of that settled on her shoulders like lead. Jaren nodded, slowly letting her go. What would you like done with the crate? On this, Ashlyn had already come to a decision. We will send word to his family and have a service for him tomorrow night. Jaren nodded, and Ashlyn looked at him. Please say nothing of this to Ganade. I should be the one to tell her. Of course. Jaren offered a smile of encouragement. I'll let you alone and go fetch some clean clothes for Elas. Ashton nodded, gaze slowly falling in the way of someone lost in thought. Ashlyn? Her head lifted. Hmm. I love you. Her questioning expression gave way to a soft and genuine smile. I love you too. The atmosphere at Altain the next day was one of grief and anger. Once Kanade had been told of Briac's death, 
the news quickly spread. Where there had been celebration of the sisters' return, there was now mourning. Inside the long rectangular room that was the conference hall, Ashlyn was speaking quietly with Tasserin about the service that would be held for her fallen friend that night. She wanted to make sure that everything was taken care of for the ceremony, and was somewhat cold and rigid, hiding her true emotions. Kanade sat at the head table of the three that made an open rectangle, completely silent with the exception of a sniffle now and then. Luella was with her, holding her hand for comfort and unsure of what else could be done. Her unease prompted her to try to name the countries from the different bangers hanging from the ceiling around the room. The doors opened, and Jaren and Elos entered. Both men were cleaned up, and in new clothes, a simple black shirt and a kilt of the Altane tartan of red with stripes and crossings of blue, white, yellow, and black. As soon as they were close enough, Kinaid stood and went to Jaren. He gave her a strong embrace and let her cry on his shoulder. Elos stood by Luela to give Kinaid and Jaren space. How are they? Luela stood and shook her head. Ashlyn has been stoic and Kinaid has been silent. They both turned to watch Tasserin leave through a side exit. Sule has returned. Jaren's brotherly embrace still held Kinaid. I suspect that was the reason for Tazarin's departure. Ashton nodded, eyes glazed and unfocused for a moment. Yes, he said not everyone is here yet. Good. Jaren gently pulled Kinaid from him so he could see her face. That gives you all the time to eat something. Ashton looked at him and Kinaid's brows came together as though she were angry at the suggestion. I am not hungry. You have to eat. You have to keep up your strength. I know you're grieving, little sister, but when was the last time you had anything substantial in your stomach? He's right. Ashton looked drained as she sat at the head table. That will be a feast tonight, but for now we need something small. Go sit down. Jaren nodded, smiling with gentle encouragement at Kinaid. She was scowling as she made her way back to her seat, and Jaren looked to Elos. Would you be willing to help me? Elos nodded, squeezing Kinaid's shoulder before leaving with the other man. He waited until they were out in the hall and well away from the others before asking the question that had been at the forefront of his mind all morning. What will happen now? They were heading for the kitchen, and he was following Jaren's lead. At council or the service tonight? Both. Council is nothing more than a bunch of formality and pretense. Ashlyn will give her a report of this past year. Someone will ask if she realises the consequences, though it's clearly beyond that point. She'll get haughty and ill-tempered, which is always fun to see, by the way. That is, unless you happen to be on the receiving end. A year? Wait didn't realize they'd been away from home for so long. Over a year, actually, but not by much. Perhaps a couple of months. Before that, she was here for two years from Oceana, where she first met me. The handsome, slightly older rogue that I am, working to root out all of Tyg's men still here in Seness, sympathizers to his crown. 
During those two years, we managed to reunite, and I grew on her like a sad stray dog, while the plan for Tyke's assassination began to quietly take shape. They were tense times. She was only 15. Kanaid, 13. When they left us to go to Sedia with Briak, Sines felt very uncertain and vulnerable. It was not a good year for us. Tonight should be interesting, though. Mark my word, council will not close tonight before someone accuses someone else of being out of line, overstepping their boundaries or saying that something was uncalled for. And there will be at least a dozen, if I may, moments in there as well. We should keep count and compare afterward. It'll keep us from falling asleep. Are you serious? Of course I am. You have no idea how tiresome these council meetings can be. The kitchen staff was well underway with preparations for the celebration that night. As the two men weaved in and out of the busy moving bodies in search of sustenance, it looked something like a circus act. An elbow to the ribs, a broken pitcher, and several annoyed glares later, the two made their way back out into the hall. Jaron had somehow managed to grab some mugs to carry apples and dried meat in, while Elos carried a pitcher of warm tea. They haven't been this excited in a while. Glancing over his shoulder, Elos didn't see the kitchen as excited, but very busy. They're preparing for tonight? Yes, there will likely be a service for Briac first, something small as a way to say goodbye. Then the celebration will begin. There was mischief in Jaren's smile. Food, dancing, singing, stories. We have a very good time. So it would seem. Did you... know Briak? Not really. He was Ashland's contact. I met him once before they left for Sadia, but that was it. You? No, I met Ashland and Kanade just after they had left him. I'm afraid I wasn't very welcoming to either of them. Ashling gives it out all the time. She can get some back every once in a while. It's good for her. May I ask, um, about you and Ashlyn? <laughs> we're to be married. Actually, we were supposed to be married at Samhain last year, but that didn't happen for obvious reasons. I'm unfamiliar. It's the night the harvest ends and beginning of the new year. If you ask the elves and older humans, they believe it's the time when the barrier between the living and the dead is thinnest, making communication between worlds easiest. That doesn't sound, uh, particularly romantic. It's not meant to be. I don't believe in it myself. I go by what I hear in church and read in the scriptures. But Ashlyn wanted our ceremony to be on Samhain, so she could feel her parents were there. I understand that, even if I don't agree with it. You seem complete opposites. Oh, we are. We're nothing alike. But it's why we fit so well together. She's everything I'm not, and I'm everything she's not. Apart, we're only half a person. But together, we're whole. Will you marry now, before there's war? That depends on what happens at council tonight. <laughs> 